This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Hello and welcome to Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, remotely uh, joining, I guess, uh, joining via phone in the studio, uh, Mike Craven and Mallory Hartley. How are you guys? We're doing well. Doing well. I, this is the first time I haven't been the one in the office when we've done this, so I've, this is this is a new experience for me. It's funny, Craven and I are looking at each other and it's like... We're still going to make you host over the phone-ish. <laughs> we're both in studio, but we're still going to make you host. It's very weird. I'm, I'm, this is the first time I've ever hosted without like seeing anybody. So I can FaceTime you really quick if you want. I'm, no, more, I'm, I'm more color commentary than play-by-play, yeah. play, I think. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, so, uh, Mallory, what episode number is this? Because, you know, you keep track of that, and I definitely don't. Yes, this is episode 192, almost at 200. 192, all right. Yeah, almost at 200. Look at that. We'll be about to, We'll be uh, through 200, about probably in the thick of magazine season. Uh, oh, yep, yep. Across that threshold. So, uh, But as you probably know from the episode title, this one is another one of our coaches' interviews. Uh, Mike Craven discovered that Dave Miranda does, in fact, have a voice. Um, which I did not hear, which I heard for the first time when I listened to that interview. Uh, we will be talking to Baylor head coach uh, Dave Miranda, and yeah, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into that. But Craven was very hyped about this interview when he came in after doing it, and I can see why. Um, that is a very calm and zen and uh, introspective dude. But we'll get into that uh, after we get through with headlines really quick. Uh, not that many. But first, uh, we mentioned last week, Ulysses Bentley transferring from SMU. Well, it did not take long to uh, for him to pick a destination. Unsurprisingly, Ole Miss uh, transfer U. It's coming. It's becoming uh, basically down there in the SEC, joining Zach Evans as, I mean, probably the best slash second best top three backfields in the country now. If we're being honest, just on paper. Got to be one of the top ones. It's amazing. I was at that Iron Skillet game last year where Bentley and Zach Evans both had pretty big games, and it's just fascinating to think, oh, both of those guys are going to be playing for Ole Miss. Like, if somebody walked into the press box during that game and be like, yeah, both of those running backs are going to be playing for Lane Kiffin next year. You just wouldn't have believed it. So uh, right. good on Lane Kiffin assembling a DFW running back all-star tandem out, out there in Ole Miss. It'll be interesting to see how those two kind of share the spotlight. I, I do think they'll complement each other pretty well. So uh, mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see what the Ole Miss offense looks like uh, this year. Yeah, and for those of you that do not know, uh, they also added, I believe, Kari Coleman from TCU, um, a linebacker, which is, again, Ole Miss – I don't know if this is Lane Kiffin kind of not being not wanting to be there long, but they're definitely going for it this year. Uh, I don't know if he, if he expected some calls to come his way and they didn't or or what, but Ole Miss is, of course, making headlines for basically being the destination if you're a high-caliber transfer. Of course, they added Jackson Dart, five-star quarterback from USC, was kind of the, the highlight, but more or less they've added one, according to 247 at least, one, two, three, four, three four-star 
sorry, four, four stars or above uh, via the transfer portal. And that doesn't include guys like Bentley who are who were producers, um, but uh, kind of registered as three stars. So nonetheless, high producing players, despite that rating. Um, yeah. So that's going to be, God, that's going to be such a fun team to watch considering that we, people kind of thought they would take a step back um, with what they lost at quarterback this year. I, I think it's a smart thing to do for a team like Ole Miss. I, I think it starts happening more and more across college football where mm -hmm. those teams that can't land the five stars straight out of high school are going sure. to start being the destination spot for that next group. Like let's, if we're spending a hundred percent of our time recruiting high school, let's make that 50 50 and recruit mm -hmm. the transfer portal as much the way Sonny Dykes did at SMU, um, yep. you know, where you, you, you're not going to land Zach Evans straight out of college. You know, you're probably not right. going to land a Jackson dart straight out of college or straight out of high school. Uh, but in the transfer portal, all of a sudden you become a, a pretty desired destination, uh, it'll be interesting. You know, you're at Texas State right now with Jake Spavadol, who kind of got some heat for the way he's built his roster over the last couple of years. That I think in ten years we're going to look back, and that's not going to be that weird of a deal anymore. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, and actually, that's a good point. You did bring up. That's why I'm not in the office. I was at Texas State doing some uh, doing some magazine uh, uh, reporting and things like that for the Texas State preview. And one of the things he mentions uh, that's you know he's very open about is like the attrition. And he's he's constantly mentioned transfer portal and not just obviously because that's their primary recruiting strategy, but he mentions like losing guys to the transfer portal. He knows that if they get a if they get a talented freshman, he's told me about freshmen in the past that they've had where it's like, yeah, I don't know if he's going to be here all four years. Um, and that's something that he's had to keep in mind when they're adding guys or having to, you know, you, you, have, you just have to take that into account because I think the deadline is May 1st. So they can go all through spring with these numbers and then lose a slew of guys. He, he talked about like worst case scenario where it's like, oh yeah, offensive lineman, you can lose one, none, or eight. <laughs> so like, you, there's like, you, it, it just it's just kind of uh, an unpredictable um, aspect that they're still kind of getting used to at the college level. Uh, now moving on, the only other, we're gonna talk about this a little bit because it kind of we can kind of segue it into the interview. Craven, you got an article coming out. Um, you've been doing a lot of these position position breakdowns in the off season, but you have one coming up about kind of about the quarterback position at the power five level. And for the first time, and at least as long as I can remember, every school's had like a, a battle of some kind to where spring camp and then going into fall camp kind of matters a ton when it comes to the quarterback battle. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what's coming down? Yeah, I'm, I'm putting out a piece tomorrow uh, about the five P5 schools in the state, and they all have quarterback battles. And it's just interesting to me, if you look at Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, Tech, TCU, I don't think any of us could give 100% like that guy's going to be the starter. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure Quinn Ewers is going to be the starter at Texas, but they're right. splitting reps today, right? And Steve Sarkeesian mm. said they're going to split reps all spring. Well, you don't do that if you have a number one star. Clayton Toon's not going to be splitting reps at Houston with the first team, right? right. Frank Harris not going to be splitting reps with the first team at UTSA. So by my count, nine out of the 12 FBS schools, everybody but Houston, UTEP, UTSA has a legit quarterback battle. And as we know, in modern football, that's that's the sexy position. That's the one that kind of makes everything go. It's going to be fascinating to watch that through the spring, see which, which ones – kind of get decided over the next month, month and a half, and which ones, you know, we're still talking about come around fall camp of who's going to be the quarterback, who's not going to be, uh, you know, what does it look like? Is there going to be a different starter in week two than in week one? Um, so just a, a different changing landscape in Texas, and then you add in new head coaches at, at Tech and TCU, and it's just really hard to pin down what those offenses are going to look like in 2022. 
Yeah, I want to say we had kind of a a statewide turnover, I'd say about two, three years ago. Um, and then, because I remember it was kind of Sam Ellinger and, and Kellen Mond were kind of like the last of their ilk, where it was like, okay, everybody's kind of turning a new leaf. And now, I, I guess we kind of thought that would be when teams pick a quarterback, especially in today's game, you kind of figure like, oh, that's their guy for multiple years. But there was kind of an instability across the whole state last year. Obviously, injury with like somebody like AM and Haynes King came into play. But it feels like this year is definitely, uh, this year is kind of just another, um, another cascade of that, I guess. And I think it just speaks to the ever-changing landscape of college football. I, I just don't think things are as consistent or concrete anymore. Like you mentioned, it's not, here's our quarterback and we're going to build around him for the next three or four years. Like, here's our quarterback for the next couple weeks, maybe, and we're yeah. going to see where it goes after that. Because um, I do remember there was a time where it felt like quarterback was an untouchable position. You name a starter, and then even if he's not playing well, you just got to roll with that guy. Mac Brown's famous quote of, if you got two quarterbacks, you don't have any type of deal. Right. Um I don't see that as true anymore. It seems more and more like the quarterback position is getting treated just like running back or wide receiver or defensive tackle where it's, okay, this guy is not playing well right now. we got another guy that we feel pretty good about. Let's put him in there. And then the other aspect of that is we've already touched on the transfer portal. Well, if you're Sonny Dykes taking over TCU and you got Max Duggan and Chandler uh, Morris in the same locker room, it doesn't really behoove you to go, hey – Max Duggan's my guy. He's going to be my guy, ride or die. We're just going with him because Chandler Morris is gone, right, just in theory. I'm just using TCU as, a, as an example. So, you know, we're starting to see it more and more where these position battles, are they real or are they more to kind of keep guys on campus? I, I think that's part of it. SMU, same thing, right? Tanner Mordecai yeah. throws for over 4,000 yards. Well, you talk to every SMU reporter, and they say Preston Stone's got a legit shot at, at mm. competing for that job that's that's crazy talk right and, and you know like it seems like crazy talk but if you're Rhett Lashley it doesn't behoove you to walk into the room and go yeah Tanner Mordecai is our guy and we're rolling with him because now Preston Stone's gone right you need a couple quarterbacks and so uh, the transfer portal has changed so much and, and one of those is that these competitions are going to linger longer and longer because you're trying to keep guys on campus and, and give yourself some options because injuries still happen. This isn't a video game. And just because a guy looks better in the spring doesn't mean he's going to be available for all 12 weeks of the regular season. Definitely. One team in particular that's going to be, I don't know, they had a quarterback controversy to end the year, but definitely had a guy who made things interesting was Baylor. Of course, they had Gary Bahannon most of the year. Blake Shapin comes in after Gary Bahannon gets hurt. Looks pretty good. Like, I'd say it looks pretty damn good. Leads them to a Big 12 championship. Um, but there's still that thing of, is do you keep with the steady hand of Gary Bahannon, who probably looked to kind of, you know, stabilize the position. But, you know, you kind of wondered about the upside and the ceiling of that offense with him. Uh, we'll talk more about that after the interview. But, you know, it's something that Coach Randa definitely has to ha uh, something on his plate this spring. A uh, little bit about the interview before we get into it. Um, I think people will be, one, shocked, as I mentioned, that Dave Miranda does have a voice. And I guess the one thing that surprised me about it was, I guess, the tone of his voice. I guess I imagined more of a, a straight-laced tone, and he definitely did not have that. <laughs> he definitely has a you, – you described him as zen and kind of reserved, and that is 100% the vibe I got. <laughs> It felt more like talking to a monk than a head coach. Yes. Cause, cause I, and yes. I say that as a – like, 
It was the most, I, when I got out of that interview, I immediately called my dad and just had a 30 minute conversation with him about how fascinating I found the interview because my right. whole life has been spent around football coaches and they all kind of are the same. They were the, they were the starting quarterback of their high school or the starting linebacker, the most popular guy. They don't lack much charisma or at least people skills or confidence. And coach Aranda is very honest about his lack of confidence in the interview and how he never really thought of himself as a head coach because he doesn't have that kind of ego and pride and, and that, that kind of boastful uh, attitude about him. And so his honesty with me, his kind of just different way of looking at the profession, he talks about coaching with players instead of coaching at them or for them. Um, mm -hmm. It was just a, a refreshing take on being a football coach as somebody who's always kind of shook his head at the general of an army kind of way that football is treated sometimes where it's like i'm you know four-star general guy and you're beneath me and if you don't listen to what i say you're out of here and, and and he doesn't seem like that at all he seems like a guy um that you just you know you, if you met him and you talked to him you wouldn't be like football coach and right. uh, i found it refreshing and fascinating i thought the conversation was a really interesting one and and, and one that was much different than any other conversation i've had with a football coach before same. I agree. I agree. All right. So before, without further ado, here is Mike Craven with Baylor head coach Dave Aranda. So here with Baylor head coach Dave Aranda. Coach, I was talking to a couple of your assistants. I heard that you're really into MMA. Uh, so kind of who is your favorite fighter and why? No, it's great. Yeah. Well, I love um, you know, boxing. Um, mixed martial arts is great. You know, I, I grew up... Um, being a big fan of boxing. And so I just came across a fight where Michael Carvajal was one of my favorite fighters when I was younger. And so there's a there's a fight where he was, uh, he was, uh, it was in the later rounds and he was losing the fight and um, he got his opponent hurt and he was, um, there's a poise about him to where a lot of times when guys, when they're down in a fight and they throw a punch and they get somebody hurt, they kind of lose, they lose their poise. And it's just swinging and elbows and, and, and a lot of rounded punches and not the straight punches with the power behind it and everything. And what was impressive about watching this Carvajal fight was that he, in kind of a desperate hour, still kept his wits about him and really you know, had the guy hurt, but was being really calculated with his punches and when he was able to get the knockout at the end of the round and kind of came with this improbable victory. And I think there's so many things like that that you can pull and use as an illustration of, uh, you know, the fight, the warrior, you know? Where does that love of calmness and chaotic moments come from? Have you always kind of gravitated towards that personally and just an enjoyment and stuff? Has that always kind of been a trait of yours? I think so. Yeah. Uh, it's a good, it's a good point that you bring up because, um, yeah, I don't know. We've been watching movies when I was younger and, um, and I would want to be the action hero, uh, but I'd always be pulled to like, the, the old guy with the beard that would be given some like some like you know some like the uh, Yoda yeah given some like you know here's something to look out for here's something to be and so like I never knew 
why I would be paying attention to this person. But yeah, I don't know. It uh, has a, I think all of it's a funny way of coming back to yourself, even though you try to run away for a little bit. More Mr. Miyagi than Karate Kid. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, it's all, I, I can, I can remember back when I was a grad assistant. And so at te- I was at Texas Tech and, uh, you know, uh, I started coaching. I coached one year in high school, right out of me being at high school. So I was, you know, first year as a JV, junior varsity O-line coach from my high school back home in Redlands. And then from there, I went to a school at California Lutheran University and was coaching um, while I was going to school there. And so I think I had a position my last two years there at Calu. And so by, te- by the time I was at Tech as a GA, I'd already been coaching some, you know, I guess if that's what you call it. And uh, I remember my scout, our scout team quarterback was Sonny Compey. And Sonny is now the head coach at uh, La Tech. And so proud of Sonny. And uh, I just remember, and he brought it up. I kind of forget because some of these things are like another world or another lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. And that I would be up there and I'd be using movie clips and I'd be talking about like weird stuff. And they'd all be, I'd meet with the scout team, you know, uh, the young players. So they would give the scout look for the defense. And so I'd meet with Sonny and, and he was kind of like my guy. And we had a bunch of other guys in there, but, you know, Leach wanted, Mike Leach wanted the GAs to run the scout team and have scout team meetings. And so, he goes, Dave, you would talk about like the weirdest stuff and no one really knew what you were doing or saying, but they all enjoy being there. It's still kind of the same thing, man. It hasn't changed. It's still the same. <laughs> I was going to ask you about the Cal Lutheran time. Was that weird? You know, like being like 20, 21 years old and like coaching 20, 21 years old. Like how did you handle kind of being the same age as some of those guys? Yeah, I've never, you know, it's interesting because we talked about today in our staff meeting this morning about not you know not not coaching on the continuum of punitive and permissive of not just being about hey um you know do something because i'm telling you to and if you don't you know f you and this is what's going to happen because i think there's some people that think like that and they think if they don't do that then it's all about I'm letting the, you know, the inmates run the prison and it's, you know, and they're on that continuum. And so I was looking at more of a, of coaching with uh, players as opposed to, to, you know, giving players, like coaching over them or coaching to them as opposed to not doing anything, as opposed to coaching for them, just letting them, giving them whatever they want. And so it's, it's uh, I think there can be a high level of control, which I think is, as coaches, you want, they want that. I think there's guys that are, they want that. Um, but then there also can be a high level of support and understanding, and seeing, and feeling, and belonging. And that, that would be the coaching with. And so, I don't know, I've always, I mean, you have to kind of believe that to be, kind of go, to go back to your question. To, um, to be young and then coach guys that are older than you, you know, 
you kind of have to not really care about, you know? I think there's certain guys where I've been around coaches and, the, and these, these guys that, that have this trait are struggling, I think, now. Um, to adjust. To adjust. And these are guys that are like this when it's like this. But when the coaching comes in, it's almost like they puff up. Like, what's the... I, um, my kids used to watch Aladdin. And so, like, when they rub the lamp and the, the genie comes out, it's almost like, oh, here's Mr. Coach. Those guys are struggling now. And so I think you, know, you learn to be like that. And so the unlearning is difficult. You have a pretty unique story for most head coaches in college football. You didn't play college football, and you have Mexican-American heritage. Kind of what what do those things, where do you think that kind of maybe helped you along the way, or what made that path a little bit differently for, for you? Uh, it's probably always so different that it never, I never even, it was already so much out there that I never really even thought about it, that it just became... You know, it was interesting because I, I was on, I was on a Zoom call with some of the coaches and, and from all different, you know, tennis and um, women's sports and you know, baseball and soccer and everything. I think there's a few football people on there, but one of the questions was, or there is an example rather that was given of a coach that was always trying to be acknowledged and be looked at as doing the right thing. And, like always be seen in the right in the right light, doing the right stuff, and and uh, I'm, I'm one of maybe a hundred people on this call, and so I'm just listening to the story, and then they kind of call on me and like, Dave, what do you think about that? And I wasn't ready to respond, but my immediate answer was that I can't really relate to it because I've never thought like that. I've never, you know, and I think I I I that 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 story comes to mind when you bring up your question because I think you, you come you're coming in just so different in the first place that it's like you was there was really no attempt to try to be something that you weren't, you know? And so um, I don't know, I think, you know, I, I look at like the the pride that I would have, um, and I know my family would have, I remember my dad and how he would, he was always busy doing this and that, but he would always stop at the TV to see uh, Tom Flores coach. Or my mom would always stop and she would want to see Anthony Munoz play, right? Or uh, Max Montoya play. We watched a lot of Bengals back then, Bengal games. And so like all of that was important. And so it's, um, you know, it's, that is, it, that is cool to, uh, to to be to be someone that can um, help other people, you know, be who they want to be. Um, after my own heart, you were a philosophy major. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it safe to say Marcus Aurelius Stoicism is mm-hmm. probably probably up your alley in terms of? I, I know that you kind of get a reputation for being a little stoic on the sidelines. Yeah, I think all that stuff's good if you win. You know, <laughs> right. if you lose, <laughs> they're going to look at like this guy don't care. You know, what does this guy do? You know, does he even, does he care? Is he even, you know, one of the, one of the first phone calls I can remember um, when I got the job here at Baylor, um, 
was with Tony Dungy, and that's and we were talking about this very thing. And he goes, Dave, I hope you win right away, because it's just going to be hard with the way that you built. If you don't, people are going to think that you don't care about it, you know. And, I, and he's completely right. And uh, you know, I think you can't you can't really be too concerned about it, even though that stuff is coming up, even if it's good. Stuff is good, and when it's bad, stuff's going to be bad. But you know, the more you you can um, you can focus on your team. I you know, I go back to last year. There's games where you know, I had Texas. We were, we were behind and had to come back. And Iowa State. We were kind of hanging on. Oklahoma State. We were kind of hanging on. And then all of those all of those games, I can I look over to their sideline. And I would see this, you know, I would see the up and down. And I always felt on our side, it was this. And so I think all that, you know, we can be like that in October and November and December because we work on it daily here. You know, if there's a, a workout where a guy doesn't want to do, you know, give the effort that's needed and we push through it without all of the, this or... You know, there's an academic paper that needs to be done, and you know, let's um, let's plan for it, and let's uh, use our resources, and let's not uh, procrastinate. You know that like, if we were to do that, that'd be this. If we were to be on top of everything and plan it out, that would be that. So, like, if you live it in January, February, March, and April, it's going to be easier to to play it out and. October, November, December. And so I think that's the challenge. I think guys don't aren't initially inclined to see it that way. I think they're they're inclined to you know, this is my life, and maybe school sucks, and I want to just do football, and so they don't see how the connection is. And I think that's the little key. That you mentioned it earlier. You were on a Texas Tech staff that I consider pretty legendary. I mean. Our Browse is there, Dana Holgerson, Sonny Dykes, I mean, just a lot of Lincoln Riley, just a lot of guys. Sonny Cumbie that you mentioned, Cliff Kingsbury is around the program at the same time. When you're a part of something like that, can you sense it at the time? Like, hey, all these guys like really know what they're doing. And, and I mean, I think if we look around, I mean, it's like 25% of the FBS coaches in Texas were on that staff at that same yeah. time. So what was it like being there during that moment? Yeah, I can, uh, so I was at Kalu, and um, this was the year pre- prior and so there was a magazine that was out and it was American Football Monthly and later I'm not sure if it was monthly first and then quarterly Um, it was American Football Quarterly and then it became monthly or the other way around I can't remember Um, but anyways uh, we all as coaches get get this magazine and there there was going to be an American Football Monthly I guess um, uh, coaching clinic and I think it was in Dallas and uh, so I have no money I'm asking my mom for money and, and all that and uh, you know I I don't really borrow I guess I take her money and I go, <laughs> and I go to Dallas to this clinic and uh, you know uh, it's basically the Texas Tech staff prior to the Texas Tech staff. And so Greg McMacken is speaking. Um, he's at uh, Hawaii and uh, 
Dana's speaking, and Sonny Dykes is speaking, and Leach is speaking, and Manny Matsakis, who was the, the owner at the time of the American Football Monthly. He became our special teams coach at, uh, at Tech. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was basically, and so like, I, I remember going at this clinic and kind of hearing about these guys and everything, and then I remember when Tech and I think the, the agent or someone that was influential was Barry Chernova, who was the, I don't know if he was the editor or something of that magazine, but he was the, all of a sudden you see all these same guys that are at that clinic and they're on the staff. And, but you could feel it. I mean, you could go down the hallways and uh, I'd go and, and visit with Art and you could just get a real strong sense of who he was and, and he'd always have his family up there. And then in his office, and then you'd go down the hall, and Ruff and Neil would be there, and you'd have music playing, and you'd be kind of um, moving back and forth with the music, singing with him, and then you'd go around the corner, and then uh, Ron Harris, who was a, was a high school coach in San Antonio, has been a mentor to me. And that's who I work with, and Ron is great. And then you've got just the characters of, of uh, Sonny and Dana, like those two guys just pushing and pulling to make stuff work. And you go to in Manny's office, Manny would have like incense. So it would be like almost, I always thought for a, a minute maybe there was beads and I might be making that up, but I think there was like beads or something when you have to walk into his deal, his office, and then you have the incense going. And so just strong characters. And that was the biggest takeaway is that you could be yourself because there was just very, very different people there. As a defensive coach, how much of an advantage was it to kind of be on the cutting room floor of an offensive system that would kind of dominate mm-hmm. college football where you're, you're kind of seeing it 20 years ago, mm-hmm. kind of what it looks like now? Yeah. Yeah, it was strong. I think you could, I mean, the takeaways were that, you know, people, you know, offensively, they did their work and they knew what you were in. They knew they were attacking this coverage or they were attacked they were they were going to uh, attack this blitz that you had and find the weak spots and then you you know you you also knew that 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 um, you know when you have an offense that scores that you're never out of the game and so vice versa no matter if your defense and things are going well it ain't over until it's over because you know I can believe there'd be countless games of tech where you know, first half's not going great and all of a sudden we're, we scored you know I was at um, I was at Utah State, and uh, this game was a, basically a de facto whack uh, championship game, and so we're playing uh, we're playing La Tech, and the head coach is Sonny Dykes, and uh, we're you know they're I think they're ranked I think they were ranked in the top twenty five. Tech was. I know their offense was one of the top in the country, like top five or ten in the country. And defensively, Utah State we were playing pretty good, and it was at La Tech. And uh, they go so fast and scoring all these points, it was just wild. And so at halftime, I think it's something like 27 to 3 or 27 to 10, it's something like that. And we're up. And then the game goes to overtime, <laughs> like 35 to 35, you know, or something like that. We ended up winning in overtime, but that that was like a tech game back then. So you just shouldn't you're never out of it. And so you know, defensively, your your ability to have answers 
and to know what's coming next was probably the biggest takeaway. How long did it take you to find your defensive system? Like how many years does that kind of take before you kind of feel comfortable with what you're, what you're doing or like the field kind of gives you enough evidence to go, okay, I'm on the right track. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I can remember at Cali for our head coach was a guy named uh, Scott Squires. And so Scott was, uh, you know, was, was, continues to this day to be a mentor to me. And I just remember when I was there, I would go visit and, uh, yeah, so I coached there, but I was a student, so there was some leniency. There was a kind of a, there's a portal for me to, you know, it wasn't like I was being paid. And so I didn't have to be in the office all the time. It gave me the ability to go, I guess, with probably sacrifice for my grades, you know, but I was able to drive and go visit other people. And so I would do it a lot. And uh, I remember. I remember, I remember Coach Squires saying, David, you know, you don't need to overdo it. Just kind of get an idea of what's going on. But I just think for me, and I don't know, this was, this was probably around the same time I was finding philosophy as a, as a thing, but it probably, I'm sure they're linked together. It's just that, uh, you know, I would go visit folks and, uh, you know, they would be just so hardcore saying this, saying A, and I just visited someone else last week that said B, and I'm, and so then the first stage is well that's different than that. The more you do it, then you realize well the guy that's saying B is coming from, you know, uh, there's a little bit of A in there, but he went with someone that was the last couple of years he was with someone that was C, and so he's trying to find this middle way of connecting the two, and then. You, know, you go around and you visit the A person. Oh, he's been nothing with but A people, and it's just he's just won't leave. You know, he, it's this or that, it's this or that, and there these guys are always that, and and so you get to see where things are connectors, where things separate. You think see how things play off each other, and I think um, you know, I imagine there's a fair amount of college professors that would like to have that type of you know, discussion uh, with their students on their subject matter, you know? Yeah. But you just have to be like so, so interested and so alive to have that, you know? And so I was able to kind of get to that eventually. I, you know, I, the other person I mentioned with some of this would be uh, Tom Ehrman. So like Tom, Tom uh, was at Calu, played, and then went to uh, Texas Lutheran or our defensive coordinator, Cal Lutheran, was a guy named Brian Marmion. Brian became the head coach of Texas Lutheran, and so they took, uh, or uh, Tom went with him. And so I was there for a year, maybe Tom was, and then uh, kind of ran into, uh, I think it's uh, Greg Davis at uh, Texas, was a Texas OC. And so they became the GA. And you know, I remember just, I would visit with Tom, talk to Tom a lot. And he would just espouse, you know, the Greg Davis things. And I, I would know from hearing Greg Davis speak and hearing other people that he would be associated with. So this is an example I'm giving you of like, here's Tom and I'm seeing where it's coming from. And I'm almost expecting him to say this or say that because I know kind of, you know. And so I remember for a while, I wish that, um, and, and, and Tom eventually, that was just the stage then, Tom, 
really morphed and became his own person and was able to, you know. But I remember at that specific stage wishing that I had like a Greg Davis for me, you know, or someone that could say, Dave, don't go right, go left. Or, you know, almost like when Luke's trying to take out the Death Star and like Obi, Obi-Wan comes in and says all that. I wish I had something like that. And I just never, you know. But now that I've, I've gone through all of it, and I think, like I say, Tom eventually went through all of it too. But I think when you have just your, your, your mentorship is all around you, right? As opposed to just one person or that person is so much better because you, you can, you can learn in just every day. And I think that's, it's way cool that it's that way. How fun was that 2019 LSU Texas game where it's like your defense, Tom Herman's offense, y'all known each other for, for so long at that point. Like, I'd imagine there's kind of, it's like a chess game, right? Where it's like, you kind of know what that other person wants to do and they know what you want to do. Like, what was that week like? And, and what was that game like? Yeah, it was, um, Tom really got the best of us in that one. I think, you know, I look back, my mistake in that game, and I think some of it was, you know, it's interesting because I think, um, and it's some of the fight now that, that I'm going through to an extent and that our coordinators more, more so than me are going to go through. And that's just kind of like, where is your group at, your unit, O or D? You know, who are your playmakers, right? Really, like, like who are you? Like, what can you, I think that's such a strong question and just the work you have to do to dig, how far you got to dig to really know is, is really key because you're talking about efficiency, you're talking about confidence. These are all the things that come out of the answer to that question, right? And not so much the final answer, but how you get to the answer. Because you can get to it, but go through all this crap and and ruin your confidence. Or, you know, um, so at that point, I know for us going into it was, didn't know if we could be more of a a four-down look, right? If we could be um, if we could just line up great leverages and cover people. And so we were real basic in that approach. And that was nothing. And that was nothing. It's Tom or anything that he did. That's where we came from. And, and it was just, you know, we really struggled in that game. And I, I think I could sense it in the beginning, the first quarter, you know, um, and the run game, we were having some success and the throw game, we just were not. I think, you know, we start, I start putting in creepers and pressures in the middle of the game because then this isn't going to work. And any time it's like that, it's not going to end up good. You know, the numbers aren't going to be in your favor. And it wasn't that way. I'm thankful, you know, for Joe Burrow and, and Clyde and, and all of our guys, you know, on the other side and helped us out as a team. We won that game. But I think that was a great... Um, kind of introduction to who we needed to be, that we had to be more creative to get pressure. We had to be more um, more, more disguising in coverages. We had to um, um, get more bodies on bodies as opposed to, you know, playing in zones. And so I just think it was, uh, it's informative. Yeah, and I think that, that all circles back to maybe some of the, uh, the other stuff with coaches of like the doing it with 
It's like, you know, whether it's, it's, you know, it's a coach to coach or it's a coach to player to keep that, that I'm doing this with you, right? And you're struggling, so I'm gonna help you, right? Or I'm struggling, can I need you to help me? That That is always tested when, you know, the results weren't good and there's criticism and there's this and that, that's when it really matters. And that's, if you do that right, and I think it goes well for your season, but for more than that, you grow as a person. And I think, you know, because that's, I feel like that's the way the world should work, you know, is people helping people. And it's just, um, I think sometimes the pressures of the game and the expectations and the critique of performance can uh, turn you the other way. And it, and it just becomes where it's, it's power over it as opposed to power with. And then lastly, for me, um, what did you, what do you learn that first year as a head coach? I'd imagine nothing can prepare you for that. So what was the self scouting like after year one going into year two for yourself? Yeah, a lot, you know, so my, my nickname when I was in high school was fence posts. Like I would just stand there, you know? And so like, you know, there's no one ever really wants to grow up and be a fence post. And so I, I, it's, uh, I don't know, I just never really thought I wanted to be a head coach. And, and this is coming from, it's hard for me to talk about this because I don't, I don't mean this ugly, but it's just, I just have a sense, a feeling that the guys, there's so many I've been around that, um, you know, where ego is such a driver. And it's like, I won't be a head coach because of that. And guys, you know, people can be well-developed enough to know, well, um, in private, I'm this, right? I can be me, but in public, well, this is what I need to say. This is how I'm going to say it. This is how I'm going to be perceived. And I, think, I just think, like, that is just so old, man. That just gets old. And it happens. I, I, it's everywhere. And so I just... And thinking about that, like I immediately think of that when I think of head coaches. And like, I don't mean that ugly, but it's like, I know what you mean. That's what I think of. And it's just when I would think of that, I'd just be so exhausted. It's like, this shit's not for me. I just can't even, I don't even know, you know. And so I never thought about myself enough. Um, you know, I, I didn't dig deep enough to really know, like, what my values were and kind of what I really believed. I think another way of saying it is I didn't know how weird I was. You know, to be honest, I really didn't know how weird I was. And I didn't know like how different, you know, I, I was or I am, I guess. Some of it was like I never really talked when I was at LSU Wisconsin. I'm just too ball. I would talk through that, you know? So I just never really talked to people. And so, you know, now that I, talking and you know who I am is coming out and stuff I don't think it's a surprise to anybody but it's more of like a, you know it's probably a surprise to me and just that I just didn't know how different I was I mean you don't talk to anyone you really don't know what other people are like you're just kind of just all up in your head and so I think that was a big fault that was a big mistake and uh, I should have done more work to really figure out what the values were. I think 
coming in, you know, following that rule and his success. You know, a lot of my success is owed to that rule and to the groundwork that he laid. And so, you know, am I trying to be too much like him? Right? Am I, uh, you know, am I taking slogans that he had and I'm trying to do them? I would think of maybe even a meeting like this. Back then, I would think about, well, where are some of the things I need to be able to say or how I need to be. So those are all just, just not, that's not it, you know? And so when you get to know really who you are and you can live from that value as opposed to trying to do stuff for value, that's all the difference. You know, it just took a, it took a hard year to realize that. Do you think the team also realized who yeah. they were in year two as yeah. well? Yeah, and so I think you know we're having to do it again this year, though. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, I think the team, I think, I think Baylor University, Baylor athletics, and Baylor football. Finally, I think um, all three are very relational. Are very um, you know um, heart centered. As opposed to some great, you know, great academics and great at all of it, but more heart than mind feelings. Uh, you know, the sense of belonging, um, I think, is really important. And I think people know when, when they're important and when they're not. And I just think like that is a superpower for Baylor. And you look at all of athletic teams that have had success and you just um if you just walk through campus you'll feel that just as a general student body thing and so i just think um, it's very important for you know like you could say you know philosophically and um, heart set wise that we're aligned right both coaches and players and i think for the longest time, I think the team last year just thought, like, Dave, all this is cool, but this ain't Oprah. This ain't fucking the O channel. Like, what does this have to do with winning? You know? And I just think it just took a long time. So it, 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 took, it took a long time. And I think there's, I think the guys have a better, they have a feel for it now, the team that we have now. But I do feel that, uh, you know, well, uh, a lot of my battles, or a lot of my work was done with a few select leaders last year. Those guys are gone. And now we've got guys that were kind of in the background where some other leaders took the hits and did the and did and did all the exerting. And now it's really it's time for new leadership to emerge and we have to kind of lose the skin of what we were to be who we need to become. And so that's a whole process. So, awesome. Thank you, Coach. We really yeah. appreciate the time. So, you got it. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you again to Dave Aranda for sitting down and talking with us. Um, honestly, this was when we when we decided we were going to do this podcast interview series. He was one of the white whales. Mm-hmm. Like he was one where, sure, yeah, you looked at A and M, you looked at Texas, the flagships, but like in terms of like who's a guy we don't know anything about. <laughs> And who kind of doesn't have a uh, – let's like he, he's – his career is not going to be hurt 
if he doesn't talk to us, right? Like he's pretty much said, he just signed an extension, just won the big 12. He's perfectly fine. And, but the fact that we got him was, I, I love the fact that we got him and we, because of how it turned out, you know, it even just validated him more. And Craven, you said that he's a huge Dave Campbell fan in general, right? He, he loved Dave Campbell and, yeah, I, it definitely helps having, you know, Mr. Campbell be such like a Waco institution. Right. Um, sure, that, sure. That I think, and, and the, for those of people who knew Dave, he's a kind of soft-spoken, kind of reserved, you know, thoughtful guy. And so I can see how him and Aranda could be in the same room and, and kind of bond over that or have some kind of interesting conversation. So I do think that's the reason, you know, we were able to get the interview is just kind of the relationship that him and, and Mr. Campbell had before Mr. Campbell passed away. Um, sure. And yeah, it was just a, it was just a fun, uh, different interview. And he, he was just so interesting to me, like, right. Like, you know, I asked him kind of what he learned in year from year one to year two. And he said a lot. Yeah. And one of the things he learned is that he's weird. Yeah. Right. He was like, I didn't the know. I, post. He was like, I didn't know I was as weird as I am, you know, cause <laughs> right. he didn't have to, when he's the DC at Hawaii or the DC at Utah state, or even the DC at LSU, he doesn't have to do much media stuff. He doesn't have to sit there and answer a lot of questions or talk to a lot of people in his words. It was just ball. Like that's all he ever right. had to deal with was just football uh, as a head coach, especially as one, once you start winning conference championships and winning the sugar bowl and 12 wins and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, people are going to want to talk to you. People are going to interview you and see what you're about. And you could tell that's not what he's most comfortable doing. I, I think I could have sat there for an hour and talked about, you know, defensive philosophy and creepers and blitzes. And, and he could have mm -hmm. talked about that with much more confidence than he does talking about his past or his history or why he became a coach. And, um, yeah, just a, just a really fascinating dude and one who's just much different. I thought he was going to be super serious. Mm -hmm. Right, sure, yes, 100%. Because um, he's quiet, and a lot of quiet guys are just super intense, serious dudes, especially as a football coach. I just thought, you know, maybe he's not that talkative, but he's going to be a pretty intense guy. He's not. He had a big smile on his face the whole time, even when he wasn't laughing. He just, you know, when I was outside of his office, he walked out, and he goes, hey, I'm Dave, you know, and you're just like, <laughs> okay, you know, like, I know, you know. And so, uh, yeah, it was just uh, refreshing, and if I didn't have a time limit, I probably would have sat there for an hour, hour and a half talking with <laughs> talking with Dave Aranda because like we're into similar stuff right like we could have just talked right. philosophy for an hour in my opinion just talk stoicism for a long time I love yeah. the part like the most fitting part was was him saying that when he watches like action hero movies he's a he he wants to be the action hero yep. but he's mm. more attracted to the Yodas yep. and the old yeah. guys the wise guys with the beards I'm like that's just so fitting after hearing this interview and you it's can so relatable Right. Most yep. of us are like that. Exactly. Right. Most of us want to be Han Solo, but we're not. Yeah. Right. You know, like we're just we're just not. And uh, for him to admit that and to be okay saying it, I just, I just, yeah, I just, you, you don't see Steve Sarkeesian saying something like that. Right. You know, like you just don't. And that's not about Steve. I mean, I don't think Jimbo Fisher or any of those guys would say anything like that either. He just, like Mallory said, he said his nickname growing up was Fence Post because he just stood there. <laughs> you know that that doesn't. That doesn't scream future head coach at a P5 school. Mm -mm. Right. And so it shows that you can do this in a variety of ways. You don't have to be taskmaster, four-star general, screaming at everybody guy to win mm -hmm. major football games. You can do it as a quiet, cerebral dude who you know is probably more loving to his players than he is hard on his players. I think that's a cool thing. I think that shows that there's not just one way to win, that there's multiple mm -hmm. personality types that can be in this profession and be successful in this profession. Yeah. I think one of the things that makes the most sense to me, because, 
you know, when you when you hear about the the, the kind of trope personalities of the quote unquote offensive guy or the defensive guy, you think of the offensive guys maybe as more analytical and you know like just spreading the field and getting you know maximizing each play and things like that. And you think a defense is more more intense, but I think the more I learn about Dave Aranda, the more it makes sense. I wonder. To me, he seems like a guy who sees defense as a puzzle, right? Where it's like you have to counter and outsmart the opposition. You have to see what they throw at you. You you have your, obviously, your move. You see what they throw out there with their spread offense or whatever, and you have the perfect counter to that, or you prepare for the, you know, ba- basically defenses are like more reactive now because they have to be, um, because offenses are so, they obviously dictate the pace of the game. And so it completely makes sense to me that he likes that aspect of the game of figure trying to unlock whatever it is that's going to slow this offense down or kind of establish dominance for a defense. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The more I learn about him, the more it kind of like makes sense that he's actually like one of the best defensive minds in the, in the country. All right. So, uh, Mallory, do you have any questions about Baylor? We sure do. We touched on this a little bit in the headlines, but probably the biggest question surrounding the program is who's going to start at the quarterback position, either Gary Bohannon or Blake Shapin. And maybe we see both at one point, kind of like last season, because Shapin did so well. It would not surprise me at all if we see both of those guys in out-of-conference schedule. You know, Baylor doesn't play – you know, they don't start off the season with like a losable game. You know, they got a couple games to kind of ease into the season. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if those guys split some time. Even if Kyron Jones has really, you know, moved up the depth chart and, and made some waves and is, is in that competition. I may surprise some people here, but I, I mean, I, I think Blake Shapin's the better mm-hmm. quarterback. I think he I think he provides more upside to that offense. And without Abram Smith, without Tristan Ebner, they're going to need that passing game to be better this year. I think Blake Shapin gives them the best opportunity to do that and to repeat as Big 12 champion. I think I kind of agree with you. Um, I think that we, what Gary Behenden gave them last year, which they hadn't had in a while, was somebody who wouldn't give them negative plays. And he's somebody who I think was the difference between, I don't want to say the year before, because I think that's unfair to to, to Charlie Brewer. Um, but I do think that there were, certain aspects to Charlie Brewer's game that like it's, it's for something like just something as simple as arm strength, right? I thought Gary Bahannon had the arm strength. I thought he had the, obviously the running ability and the durability more, more specifically um, to you, to utilize his feet in the, in the passing game and to kind of spread the field the way uh, Jeff Grimes wanted to. And I like that you mentioned the strength of schedules. Yeah. I definitely think we'll see both of them against Albany. And I think you'll kind of get a, a sense of who's in the lead by who starts BYU. Um, we'll probably see both, but I think the the, the, the presumed starter will get the, the maybe the first half or the first couple snaps against BYU. And then I think against Texas State, you'll see very much like a 70-30 split, I think, um, because then Iowa State, then they go around to conference play the next week. I kind of agree. I think it'll be Blake Shapin. I think that we saw a lot of upside from him as far as his feet, as far as his uh, um, mobility and his arm strength. And, you know, he's not the build that Gary Bahannon is. Gary Bahannon's a Mack truck, but he's still somebody who I think just, I think I see his, I see his Zach Wilson, right, type of mold in him um, and maybe a more vertical game. By the way, did you know C.J. Rogers from Argyle was on Baylor? I did not know that. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh-huh. I did not. The state, yeah, state champion quarterback, C.J. Rogers. I'm glad he got picked wow. up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
because um, he's a he was a good looking prospect. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, Kyron Jones is still waiting there in the wings too, and you know I, I know he's kind of one of their prized possessions off that uh, from that class. So I'm wondering what kind of what the future holds for him um, if he sees himself staying there a couple of years. I hope he does because I would like to see him in this offense. Um, but yeah, as far as next year's concerned, I think it's Blake Shapen. I do think the one factor for Gary Bohannon is what, like what Ish said, his build, he's so big and he's so powerful yeah. Yeah. that if they don't find an Abram Smith replacement, if they are struggling in the run game, I think Bohannon can kind of take some pressure off of that and be a better mm-hmm. kind of power runner where Shapen kind of feels more of a, a scrambler who buys time with his feet to throw the ball more. You can use Bohannon uh, as a real running threat, especially on short yardage situations in the goal line. I, I think there's a package for both of them that if played right, you know, Baylor could kind of do a two-quarterback system in 2022 and get away with it. And speaking to that a little bit, did you all see the article that came out, I guess, a couple weeks ago that Bohannon squatted 610 pounds? He's a monster. <laughs> so I had that on here, and I was like, that that just speaks to what you just said. You stand next to him, and he he looks more like a middle linebacker than exactly. But like he's a he's a dude. Like that is a dude. That was yeah. the headline. It was like this this dude's a quarterback, and he just squatted six hundred. And, that, and that's why that's why the team loves him so much, right? Like because he's a yeah. grown man, right? And like yeah. when you're a football player that's not a quarterback, I think you like looking at your quarterback and going, okay, we could go into an alley with that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, right. like, he, well, it's like, it's he's like the Jalen Hurts thing. Of course, like Jalen Hurts, when yeah. he got to Oklahoma, everybody's like, oh, my God. You know, they're used to they're used to Kyler Murray and Baker, who are great, but obviously they're quarterbacks, right? And then they see Jalen Jalen Hurts getting in there and squatting 500. They're <laughs> like, oh, my God, that's my quarterback. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Awesome. Up next, how is Baylor going to replace the big stars like Jalen Petrie and Terrell Bernard on defense? I don't, I don't think they do. You know, I, I just I just don't I don't know if you can, mm-hmm. right? Like those are those are two of the best defensive players in my lifetime at Baylor. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just you're just not going to just find that on the roster. They're going to need some guys to step up. Um, they're going to need their defensive line to be really really good this year to take some pressure off off the linebackers in the secondary. I do think Dylan Doyle at linebacker is poised for a huge year. Uh, he's going to be the team's leading tackler and kind of take over uh, the Bernard spot. So they're going to have to find somebody. Um, next to to him to do that, Coach Aranda kind of talked about how you got to shed skin, almost like a like a snake, right? And yeah. this is going to be a completely new football team with new leaders, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. What I think helps them is that they have a genius as a head coach defensively, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not many smarter defensive minds in the country than Dave Aranda's, and so maybe you don't have that pure talent of a Jalen Petrie, a Terrell Bernard, a J.T. Woods but you can scheme around it. And this spring will be used to kind of figure out who his playmakers are to kind of see who they can rely on and who they need to kind of give some help to. And then the summer I would imagine would be spent behind the scenes, just figuring out the way to kind of work that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you mentioned Dylan Doyle. I think that's obviously one of the names to keep in mind, but I I agree. This goes back to Dave Randa. I don't know if you need to replace those guys. Cause I remember when he came in, and, you know, Matt Rule took Phil Snow with him. And you're like, oh, man, Phil Snow, that was a great defense. And, you know, the defense took a step back because I think uh, Rule's last year, they were just incredible. Um, but I, they were a lot better in Aranda's first year than they had any business being. And then, obviously, they became what they were last year in his second year. So, I mean, he's bought all the credit with me when it comes to just figuring out what the hell to do with whoever he has to basically put together a really good defense. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's much like when we talk about, like, I figure Texas is going to be good on offense, right? Like, sure. Sark, Sark knows what he's doing offensively. They're going to score points. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's how I feel defensively with Aranda. Like, 
yep. if they can score some points, they're going to be okay because he's going to figure out how to stop people. Right. What are some expectations for this team heading into next season? You know, is, is year three under Aranda going to look more like year one or year two more successful? I, I think this is fascinating, right? The answer is probably somewhere in between. You know, I don't know if they're a perennial Big 12 champion team. I don't know if they recruit well enough to just, like, be given that label. Um, you know, you look at Oklahoma's roster. You look at Texas's roster. I mean, you even look at Oklahoma State's roster, and I think you could say arguably that those three are, are more talented than Baylor's roster. Um, but I don't know if many other teams are as well-coached and as consistent as Baylor. You know, Texas can't figure it out and hadn't figured it out in, like, 12, 13 years. Oklahoma's got a new uh, head coach. Spencer Sanders still the quarterback of Oklahoma State, so you don't really know which Jekyll or Hyde you're going to get there. Uh, yep. Baylor's got the best offensive line in the league and the best defensive line in the league, and my mind says that that keeps them in almost every single game. And so if they figure out the quarterback position, and more importantly, because I, I think as we've talked about, they got multiple, you know, Gary Bohannon or Blake Shapin can win the Big 12 with Baylor right it's going to be that running game Abram Smith ran for 1600 yards last year mm -hmm. that wide zone running game changed everything for that offense can they figure that out you know it Tay McWilliams Jordan Jenkins like is there guys on the roster that can run maybe not for 1600 yards but for a thousand right yep and if they can figure that out I think quarterback matters less and that offensive line and defensive line carry them to another big 12 title game because I I can't pick Texas to be consistent yet I don't know what Oklahoma's going to look like with Brent Venerables and to me that leaves Baylor as the team right there um, to compete for another big 12 championship and, and and then when Texas and Oklahoma leave I think Baylor is going to be you know that power of the big 12 or at least one of them on paper where you know every year, year in and year out, they can compete for a conference championship. It'll just be interesting to see how long they can keep Aranda there. Because as we've talked about, he's an interesting dude. He's got a different personality. Waco may be perfect for him because mm -hmm. he doesn't have to do a whole lot of media stuff. He doesn't have to do all these ESPN things. And you know, he's not pulled in all those directions that he would be if he coached at Oklahoma or USC or Notre Dame or something like that. So maybe he's kind of found a perfect spot for him, and Baylor can ride this out. But you keep winning 12 games every single year, big, big schools are going to be calling. And so that, that'll be the most interesting thing to me is if they have another really, really great year, you know, what can Baylor do to keep him around and, and stay this course? Because as we've seen with Baylor, um, they can get coaches in there to be successful. Just can you keep them around to stay successful? Mm -hmm. Right. I, always, I almost wonder, like, if similar to a rule where it's like, is his next step just the league? Right, because mm -hmm. like he he does seem like the personality that would fit the NFL, where it's like you're not talking down to kids, right? You're talking with them, you're talking with adults, you're talking with he he seemed I don't know he's somebody you can have a grown man conversation with, and I can absolutely see him trying to talk to his 33 year old you know team captain about what they need to do to fix the team, right? Like that it seems like he has that kind of that aura about him. Yeah, for sure. That was another thing he mentioned. I don't know if he mentioned it in the interview or after it was done, but he kind of talked about how like most of his coaching was done to just a few select leaders on the team. Like he seems like one of those guys that doesn't like stand in front of the team and give this 20 minute speech to, mm -hmm. or walk around and coach every single position or whatever. He, he has a group of leaders that he kind of talks to. And then those players go and kind of talk to the rest of the team. So, yeah, I mean, that is a, I, that's something I hadn't thought about. You know, I've, I've just always kind of thought about like, you know, when LSU's job opened up, when Oklahoma's job opened up, you know, how, how much would Aranda be in those mixes? I hadn't even thought about, 
uh, NFL wise. Um, and I do think, I agree with you. I think he would fit in really well there because of his personality. It's the opposite. It's the antithesis of an urban Meyer. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, at the NFL that works better because you're dealing with grown adults. So you don't have to threaten who are getting paid as much, if not more than you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Basically. And you kind of already mentioned it, but you know, do you think the ceiling for Aranda in this Baylor program is a Big 12 championship? You don't think further down the road that this program could contend for a national title Not if Aranda stays. Just maybe down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I, I, think, I think once Texas and Oklahoma are gone, that changes yeah. the recruiting dynamic in the Big 12 mm -hmm. to where Baylor could easily be one of those teams that right. is 10-2, and 11-1, and 12-0, and, and can compete for college football playoffs. I think right now they deal with the perception of like, well, you're not as talented as Texas or oh, you're mm -hmm. not as talented as Oklahoma. Um, and that keeps teams like TCU, Baylor, even when they win the Big 12 championship from like getting mentioned in those conversations. I think mm -hmm. once those kind of like giants are gone, uh, they can kind of stake claim to a conference and really dominate it. And then, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. sneak in there the way that Cincinnati did or whatever. That's going to be – to me, that's the biggest part about the Big 12 realignment stuff is, like, what is the perception of the Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma leave? I think for us it's better than maybe it will be nationally because we see mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. programs. We know how talented they are. But, like, what does somebody in Ohio think about the Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma are gone? Does right. it become – That don't know much about Houston or, right. or you know. Mm -hmm. Does it become where you have to, like, quote-unquote – sneak in like Cincinnati did where you got to go mm -hmm. undefeated or is it still viewed as a conference where, you know, if you're 10 and two or 11 and one, you still have a shot to do that. I, I don't really know what that answer is. That's going to be something that's, that's really interesting. You know, once OU and Texas are out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that, and this isn't, this isn't about Aranda specifically at Baylor, but when it comes to like that next level, you know, it, I think it, it just depends on when it comes to recruiting, if they can basically get that guy a quarterback, like is Blake shaping that guy? Because, you know, you look at the contenders the past couple of years, basically until this year and Georgia's an outlier because of course they have five stars everywhere. So they could kind of make it work at quarterback. They kind of had that star behind center. And is it Blake shaping? Is he on campus yet? Is he not? Um, when Texas, Oklahoma leave, does that raise the potential of somebody like that going to Baylor? Um, you know, you almost have to have that kind of, transcendent figure to really punch into that 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 stratosphere of like you know five or six teams and again i'm i know georgia just won but that that's literally the outlier when it comes to that um before that you probably have to i can't I mean honestly might have been lsu's last title under or she's probably under saban or no less miles probably first title um you probably have to go back to when you don't have like a brand name quarterback um, but I do think that Baylor being kind of or pushing to the front of the, the Big 12 as Texas and Oklahoma leave positions them better to be able to be more attractive to those guys coming out of high school. And for me, it's all about recruiting. Yep, and 100%. I think if there is a – I mean, negative is the wrong word, but if there's a concern about Dave Aranda's personality type, it's got to be on the recruiting trail, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like yeah. I, I don't know how that personality plays in a high school kid's home. You know, he's not a raw, raw guy. He's not Joey McGuire. Right. Like, so does that do, does that style do better in the NFL, right? Yeah, like, right. like you brought and up so earlier. I think that'll be the fascinating thing. Like, does Tech just crush Baylor in recruiting? Does TCU just crush Baylor in recruiting? Like, I, I don't know. And so um, the team that just won the Big 12 championship, I, I think even Aranda will admit we're mostly Matt Rule's guys. And yeah. a lot of those guys signed with or be, because Joey McGuire. Mm -hmm. And so 
where does that talent come from without those two guys in the room? Because those are very magnetic, big personality guys who I'd imagine are pretty good recruiters. Yeah. Um, can Baylor have the talent on the roster in two or three years that are running the three fastest times at the NFL Combine and all that kind of stuff? Like, do they find those guys like a James Lynch that they were finding with Rule and McGuire? Kind of where does that recruiting go? Because you can be the greatest coach in the world, but if you just don't have the talent, there's going to be other guys that can coach really well too. And so um, is, is Baylor's roster going to be as talented in three years as it is now or last year? To me, that's the question that has to be asked. They got yeah. Brian Bell from China Spring, right? Yep. He's pretty yep. pretty big personality, right? Yep. yep. I, I think I think that's Aranda's, you know, Ron Roberts' defensive coordinator is a big personality. Jeff Grimes' offensive coordinator is a big he's, – he's put himself around – he kept McGuire mm-hmm. on staff even though they were the two finalists for the Baylor job. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he knows that he's not big rah-rah guy, mm-hmm. and he needs those guys around him. Um, it's just a, a just a fascinating uh, situation because usually the head coach is considered the closer, mm-hmm. and yeah. I just don't know if Aranda has that type of personality and if that translates to the recruiting trail and with coaches because coaches are like other coaches, and I think some mm. of them meet Aranda and don't know what to think of them. Mm-hmm. You know, at the high school level, at the college level, you know, I, I do think there's there's some like, what is this guy about? Mm-hmm. You right, know? right. And so uh, that was like me until I said, <laughs> yeah. right. you know, and so, um, you know, it, it's just something to watch, right? Can Baylor keep recruiting well enough to stay up with those teams? Cause like Texas tech's 2023 class is ranked second in the nation right now. You know, like mm-hmm. McGuire's going to get some dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Sonny Dyke's going to get some dudes at TCU. He proved that at SMU. He's going to get some guys. Um, can Baylor recruit at the level that they've been recruiting? Can they keep the transfer market portal op- open? Um, and it, yeah, to me that that's all because we know he can coach. Mm-hmm. We know right. he can motivate. We know he can. We saw it. Um, now it's just about talent uh, acquisition, and can he do that consistently year over year? That's going to be the biggest challenge for Baylor and Aranda, in my opinion. Yep. All right. Is that all we have? That is. Okay. Well, like I said, we pre- like always we appreciate you guys for listening. Thanks again to head coach Dave Aranda for sitting down and talking with us. You now have three and hopefully multiple multiple new fans uh basically what you guys are doing over there and uh oh, oh yeah craven next uh next hint what do we got well you're going to be happy about the guest next week oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh there's your hint if you know me cliff you know, kingsbury's should... best friend <laughs> there you go <laughs> there you go uh, which I actually learned when he uh, when he took the job that that that's actually a thing. So um, yeah, there's your hint for next week. Uh, remember to like, rate, and review. I don't even know if you can like this wherever on Spotify. Sure, if that's how you subscribe there, I don't know. Um, I'll do all that stuff that helps us in the algorithm. And we will talk to you guys next week for Mike Mallory and Ishmael. Thank you.